Well, good morning, Brookside. Good morning. It is great to, uh, to be here together this morning. And as John said, we are starting a new series this morning and really excited for this series. It's an opportunity, as Tyler said in that video, which, by the way, I wasn't asked to be a part of that video. You know, what's up with that, right? But as Tyler said so well in that video, uh, there are certain things in life that are worth the fight, right? There are certain things in life that you just go, you know what? That's worth a lot of effort. And um, as we began to chew on the idea of this series, clear back last summer, um, the, as the months went on, it just became more and more evident that, oh, wow, there are, there are a handful of things that we would say they rise to the top and they're of importance to us, but they're also even more and more importantly than that, they're, they're important to God. And so we want to tackle those in, in this series together. Um, one thing is for sure, it's this, it's that you fight for things that really matter, don't you? Um, one of my greatest memories, childhood memories of my brother, I have one brother, and uh, he's about two years older than me, and my greatest memory really with him is this. One time we were walking home from school, and it was about a, a three-mile walk. At least it seemed like about three miles. It was actually only about a quarter of a mile, but um, each day we would walk that long distance, and I remember, though, uh, this one particular day, he was about 50 feet in front of me, and uh, he was probably in front of me because I was messing around and taking too long or whatever, and I was probably in the fourth grade. He was about in sixth grade, and I remember we were walking past this house that I never liked to walk by because there was somebody that lived at this house, an older, uh, older student who always liked to mess with me, liked to mess with a lot of people. And I remember as we walked by, my brother's clear in front of me, and, and I remember that day, um, sure enough, he's sitting on his porch, and he begins to make his way toward me. And I don't remember exactly what he wanted, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I know this, he wasn't coming to me with a warm greeting, I'd like to meet you in the name of the Lord today and give you a hug. No, it wasn't like that at all. This guy, I was intimidated by, he's a bully, right? And so what I remember, though, about this story is that as he began to come toward me, I looked ahead of me and my brother, I'm thinking, oh, bro, bro, you know, and, and before I even had to call out to my brother, my brother had already turned around and he was starting to walk back towards me before I called out even because he'd been kind of like looking over his shoulder and seeing this guy come walking toward me. And I thought in that moment, my brother had to make a big decision, didn't he? He had to make a decision. Will I fight for, like, will I put myself in the ring for this little kid that steals my stuff? right? Will I get in the ring today? Will I get in a tussle potentially for this kid that comes to my room, for this kid that tells on me, for this kid that I beat up half the time, right? Will I, will I get in the ring for him? Here we are, three, day, three decades later, I still remember that day because he said to me that day, you're important enough, I'll get in the ring for you, right? I still remember that. We admire that, don't we? We admire it when people fight for things that really matter. It inspires us. When people say, you know what, I'm going to give my absolute best and then some because some things in life, they're just worth the fight. They're worth taking a few hits for. We admire that in people. There's a guy at the gym that I see to become a good friend and and um, this week uh, I saw him once again. He's been battling Parkinson's disease for as long as I've known him. And so there he is at the gym, and every time it seems like I'm there, he's there. And the reason that is is because he's always there, and he's always there for a long time. Why? Because he's battling a disease. And he's wanting to do, and he'll tell you this, he's wanting to do everything he possibly can to stay as sharp physically and mentally as he possibly can. And I just said to him this week, I said, Steve, I said, you are such a fighter. You're such a fighter. Uh, we admire that in people, don't we? In this series, we're going to call each other to fight. We're going to call each other to say, hey, let's get in the ring for the things that matter the most. 
Let's be one of those people that we're okay with persevering. We're okay with kind of pushing through. We want to be a fighter because there are certain things in life that take that. And there are certain things in life that truly are worth fighting for. So I've been praying as we've been approaching this series, and I've just been saying, God, would you allow this series to be, have some moments where we just go, as we hit different topics that really rise to the top, Lord, would there be moments where we would just say, I had a breakthrough. God, you, you broke through a wall that I didn't think you could break through. God, I didn't even care about that, but now I care. God, I gave up on that, but now, Lord, I am fully engaged in that. And so this morning, even before we dive into this series, I would love for us just to pray and just to say together as a church, Lord, would you do, and let's pray that Ephesians 3.20, and this is kind of, I think, becoming a theme verse for us, isn't it? Let's pray, God, would you do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? So right now, would you join me, and let's just say, God, we're about to go into a big series here. Would you take it, not by our power, but by your power, and would you do great things through it? So yeah, would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this morning. Father, first of all, thank you that you are the kind of God, Lord, that you care about us. You know us by name here today. You, Father, you know what kind of weeks the people in the room have had today. And Father, you meet us in those places. And Lord, there are certain things in your scriptures that we see that rise to the top. Things that are so very, very important. And Father, thank you that you join us. God, that you fight for us. And so, Lord, we put this series in front of you and we say again, Lord, Father, would you, we humbly say, God, would you do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? Father, might we look back at this series and say, God, you brought that marriage back together. God, you helped me care about something that I didn't care about. God, you ignited in me a passion for something that has the potential to change many, many lives. And so, Father, we lay this series before you. I would ask you right now, church, would you just say a prayer just to yourself and would you just say a simple one-sentence prayer and just say, God, would you bless these people around me? God, would you speak to them throughout this series? So go ahead and just even do that right now on your own. Lord, it's humbling um, to be in your presence. And we thank you for the gift of your word. And, uh, and Father, we do. We pray for big things. And we thank you that we've been able to see big things in our midst, and that's by your grace. And so, God, we ask for more, more of you, and that we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, the topic, the first thing to fight for, we're going to talk about how do you fight for a thriving marriage? How do you fight for a thriving marriage? And I just want to say this on the front end. There are many people in the room here this morning that you're not married, and that's okay. You did not come on the wrong Sunday. Um, maybe you're not old enough to be married, or maybe you've been married before, or maybe you just went through a hard divorce. My prayer for you, if that's the case for you, that you would just experience the love and the grace and the goodness of God. And here's what you're going to find, no matter where you kind of come at this subject on, if you apply the principle that we're going to see from God's word this morning, I assure you of this, you did not come on the wrong Sunday. If you apply this to the relationships in your life, you will be glad that you did. The application is so widespread. Um, so we starting, we're starting off this series with marriage as the lead-off topic because I don't know of something that takes a lot of more commitment and maybe even more perseverance and more fight 
than marriage sometimes does. And so that was even actually kind of the driving force. I was looking around our church and going, we have to fight for marriages. We have to. Uh, as a pastor, you see um, not only God do incredible things in the lives of people, and thank God we get to see that all the time, but you also meet with and you see a lot of people as a pastor that are really struggling. And oftentimes it's one spouse that will call the church or who will come in and they'll be throwing out the lifeline and they'll be saying, I will do anything I can to save our marriage, but we are at that critical point. And then the other person, the other spouse comes in and they're usually dragging their feet and it's more like this, I don't even want to be here. I've given up. I'm tired of this. I don't want to keep going. I want to throw in the towel. And you meet with enough people and you see that happening and you just go, oh, we've got to talk about this. We've got to be a people that we fight for marriages. And not just marriages that will just kind of get by. But how do we live the kind and how do we have the kind of marriage that we say it doesn't survive, just survive, it actually thrives. And this isn't just a perspective of a pastor seeing the need for a topic like this. If your parents are still married, if they have survived marriage, much, much less uh, thrived in it, you know this. Marriage does not happen on accident, staying together. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? If you're married, you know this. You know, Christine and I know this, there are times when things are clicking, things are going really well. And then there are other seasons where you just go, whoa, we're going to have to just work on this. We're just going to have to keep going and doing the right things, right? You know that. It kind of comes and it kind of goes. But here's the thing that is absolutely true. There is no coasting to a thriving marriage. And there are some couples in the room even here this morning, and I admire you. Because whether I know your story or not, I know for a fact there are some of you, or maybe you're even here, to, here alone here today, you are fighting for your marriage. And you have continued to fight. You have stayed in the game, and I just, I commend you for that. My goal here for this morning is not to pretend that we're going to address every issue as it comes to marriage. We can't possibly do that. But what I do want to do is this. I love this passage we're going to look at because it gives us this framework. It gives us this biblical lens of, okay, how do I look at my spouse? How should I think about my spouse? How should I think about marriage? Our main text, Ephesians chapter 5 I want to say this right on the front end. There is a whole lot of teaching out there about marriage. You can find great books, Christian, non-Christian. You can find great articles. You can find great you know, podcasts, all sorts of things on marriage. Very good content. But if I were to sit across from you and you just said to me, Jeff, what is the most important thing? If you could drive me to just one source, what would it be? I would say this. I would drive you to, and I would even point to just one verse in the section we're going to look at today. I would point you to Ephesians chapter 5 and what we're going to look at because it will give you a rock-solid way, an eye-opening way for you and I to go, okay, I can have a marriage that doesn't just survive, but it actually thrives. This week I've been so thankful. God gave us his word. I mean, what a privilege. God said, hey, I'm not going to leave you hanging on this. I'm going to give this incredible gift to you so that you know how to have a thriving marriage. But before we get to the Ephesians chapter 5, I want to lay kind of a foundation. And I think this is important, particularly, particularly in, in kind of the world that we live in. I want to lay a foundation for, at the root of marriage, what does God think about it? I mean, how does our creator God, how does he feel about marriage? How, how does he think about it? How, what does he say about marriage? 
And so this is from uh, Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus, and he's, he's, he's quoting the book of Genesis, and he, he puts it like this. He says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, he says, a man will leave his father and mother, and he'll be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Notice two things. First one, at the beginning of creation. Know this, marriage was God's idea. And when God came up with the idea of marriage, and you might have a view of marriage that is very negative, and that might be for very good reason based on the things you've seen in your life. But know this, at the core of the core of the core, God created marriage. God, it says what God joined together. It was God's idea, and he said it was good. It was for good. But as good as God created marriage to be, if I think you would also probably agree with this statement, wouldn't you? Here it is. It's easy to fall in love, isn't it? Do you agree with me? It's easy to fall in love, but it's hard to stay in love, isn't it? Would you agree with that statement? Isn't it easy to kind of have that hallmark moment where you just say, oh, my knight in shining armor has arrived. I love this man. I actually don't think any woman has ever called a man a knight in shining armor, but, but we can dream, right, guys? Or how about guys? How about the fellas? Did you ever find yourself saying this? Oh, she's the woman of my dreams. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy to fall in love. But it's harder to stay in love. It's easy to kind of go, oh, I want to get married. And, you know, marriages can happen. They're actually, it's not that hard to get married. It's expensive and it's rather stressful. But it's not hard to get married. But it is hard to stay in love. Because here's what happens. You go from this big idea of, oh, it's easy to fall in love. My Romeo has arrived. And then you decide to do this one day. Get married. And all of a sudden, things look a little bit different. My knight in shining armor is starting to act like a knucklehead. Or this woman of my dreams must have a different dream for my life than I do, right? Ever felt that way? And then you have one of those moments, and you ask the question, and the first time you have it, it's kind of scary, and you do it in private, but you have this moment where you ask yourself, and you wonder, maybe out loud to yourself, you say, did I marry the wrong person? Did I do the right thing? Should I have gotten into this? Isn't it true? I mean, it is easy to fall in love. It's easy. It's not that hard at all. Anybody can do that. But it is hard to stay in love. Christine and I have been married 15 years, and Lord willing, we, we would both tell you this. We think that's a good start, you know. Um, but I will tell you, and she would tell you this just the same, and this is why we have such a heart for couples that are particularly younger in their, in their marriage years. Um, we would tell you that our first year of marriage was an absolute train wreck. And I mean one with smoke and fire, and it was horrible. As our, our plane was descending, coming into Omaha from our honeymoon, I think we actually got in a fight as it was coming down, and it, was, it began a year, a little bit more than a year, of turmoil. It was one of the hardest times of our lives. We would say this, we not only wondered if we were the right people for each other, we talked about it, and we talked about it in loud tones, animated. We would both say that's, that apartment, that first apartment was way too small for us. Way too, we don't even drive by that place now. We don't even want to think, <laughs> think about it, right? But back to our question, here it is, right? If God created marriage to be good and he allows us to fall in love, then surely 
surely God then would help us to stay in love. Because if God said, if God said, hey, marriage is a good thing, I created it, surely God would not want you and God would not want me just to survive it, not just to stay in it for the kids, though that's an okay thing to do. God would say, no, no, I don't want you just to get by, but I want you to thrive. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read this entire text to us, and then we'll go back and we'll work through it together, okay? Ephesians 5, here we go, starting in verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this, this is the one verse that I think if you grab anything today, we're going to go back, we're going to unpack that verse. That one verse can change your marriage. Wives submit, uh, uh, to your, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, ladies, don't head for the doors just yet. Verse 25. But, here it is. Husbands, your turn. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You're going to see this parallel as we go through that, that the author is going to constantly go back and he's going to compare this marriage relationship between a man and a woman. He's going to compare it to Christ and the church. Verse 28 says, in the same way, husbands, you ought to love their, ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they, they feed it and they care for their own body just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, going back to what was at the beginning here, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will be called, one, will be one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about, here it is again, he's, he's painting this bigger picture. I'm talking about Christ in the church, however each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, that's quite a text, isn't it? It's actually, I think, one of the most misquoted, maybe one of the most um, sometimes misleading, misrepresented, misrepresented texts out there. So let's look at it. Let's look particular. Let's start with that very first word. And, and I'm, I'm telling you this. If you will, if you will hear this, this verse, if you will say, God... What do you have for me today as I listen to the teaching of this verse? I believe this. God's truth. We saw this just this week, didn't we? Yesterday in our 365 reading. Do you remember this? Proverbs chapter 3. What did it say about God's truth? It says we should put it in our hearts. And what does it produce? It produces, it brings peace. It brings life. I think this will do that this morning. Here we go, the first verse we're going to look at. It says, submit to one another, one another, out of reverence for Christ. Submit, it simply means this. It means that if I submit to you, I place myself under you. It doesn't mean that I follow you into sin. It doesn't mean that you're harsh with me. It doesn't mean that that's a blank check for someone to abuse or to do anything crazy. It doesn't mean any of that. It simply means this. It means that I say that your desires and your goals and your wants, and your hopes, and your dreams for the future. I put myself under those, and I want those. I will put your desires above my own. But here's the twist. Notice the second part of the verse. It says this. Submit to one another. Here it is. So huge. Don't miss this, church. Out of reverence for Christ. That's a huge twist in this passage. This is a marriage game changer. Marriage game changer. Submit to one another out of as an overflow 
out of your reverence or your awe for Christ. It's saying this, Christian marriage says this, I'm not going to treat you as you deserve spouse. I'm going to treat you out of reverence, out of an overflow of my reverence for Christ. And here's the clincher on this whole thing. Jesus never said this to you. He never said this to me. He never said to me, Jeff, if you will, then I will. Jeff, if you'll get cleaned up, then I'll meet you halfway and we'll, we'll, we'll finish the deal and you'll get forgiven. He never said that. So I, what do I do? I submit, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ never had a debt-debtor kind of relationship that he set up. Instead, he said this, I went the whole way for you. I didn't just come halfway. I didn't ask you what you deserved. I didn't look at how you've been treating me. No. I went the whole way for you. You don't owe me an ounce of debt for your sin. You got what you could not earn. You got grace. You got love. You got forgiveness. You got a new life in Christ. You used to be this way and now you're this way. And you didn't do anything to earn that. And now... I want you to submit. I want you to put the desires of your spouse above your own. Not because they deserve it. Because I don't want to be held accountable for what I deserve. And what is happening here is we're getting a new standard. How do we think about marriage? This is a framework game changer. Don't do things, it says like this, don't do things in your marriage to convince or to coerce or to, you know, to, to try to control. No, no, no. You do the right things to your spouse out of, as an overflow of, your reverence, your awe, your gratitude for Christ. It changes everything. You don't serve or you don't not serve your spouse because of what they did for you. No. It's not about them. It's out of your, it's out of my reverence for Christ. When we first got married, we got uh, uh, a guy in our family gave us this little plaque, and it was a triangle wood thing, and, uh, and at the top there was a plaque on it that said God, and then over here was my name, and then over here was Christina's name. And the whole point was this, the reason why he gave it to us was this, is he wanted us to remember something very important. He said, okay, if you guys, if you'll just keep your eyes on God, if you'll live not looking at each other all the time and going, hey, well, what does she deserve? Oh, he did that today. What does he deserve? And if you guys won't do that, but if you'll keep your eyes somewhere else, and if you'll live out of reverence for God based on what he's already done for you, not based on what they deserve, but if you'll keep your eyes on him, and if Jeff, if you'll just walk towards Christ, what you're going to find is that the more that Christina and you do that, the closer that you're going to get and the smaller this gap between you will become. And he said, just keep going. You keep going. You look towards Christ. And the more that you look toward God, your heavenly father who loves you, who created marriage to be a good thing, the more that you do that, what you're going to find is there's going to be a less of a gap between the two of you. So don't look over here and say, well, oh, she deserves this. No, no, that's not the question. The question is this, who is your God? And so, and so then I say, okay, God, in reverence toward you, in awe toward you, in gratitude towards you for what you did to me that I what I could never earn in reverence toward you I will try to put her needs above my own and when I look at Christ what happens I get closer to my spouse he goes on let's keep breaking this down verse 22 it says this wives submit yourselves to your own husbands because because they look like this they're so handsome like this guy here check this guy out 
Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want that guy's dream for your life, ladies, right? Right? No, go back to the slide, another slide. Here it is. It says this. Move that one. One more. Back to that uh, verse 22. Here it is. Husbands submit, or wives submit to your, uh, to, to your own husbands. And here it is. It's consistent throughout the passage. As you do to the Lord. As you do to the Lord. Again, it's not this idea of, oh, I will because he, he or she deserves this. No, you've got to drop that. I've got to drop that. Wives, you would do the best favor. You would be able to express your gratitude, your love, your respect in the best way you can if you don't think of what your spouse deserves, but if you think about what God has given you. And then you do your best to give that love that God has given you. You give that to your spouse, not because they deserve it, but because you revere him. Keeps going, verse 25 then, skipping down a little bit, it says this. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And every husband in the room should have just gone, oh my word. That's a huge responsibility. And every Christian woman should have said, I'm glad I'm a Christian today. Mm -hmm. Yep. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do? He gave himself up for her. Again, you're going to see this as we go throughout this passage. It's this picture of Christ in the church. And so when I look at my spouse, I don't just see my spouse. Guys, know this. Do not love your wives because they're lovable. Brookside men, we can't be the kind of guys that we give her what she deserves. Does she deserve good? I don't know. Does he deserve good? I don't know. It doesn't matter. What matters is this, is that I look at this, and men, this is the charge to you and I. We love our wives as Christ loved the church, and what did Christ do for the church? He laid down everything. He laid down everything. He left nothing, and so you and I, we best express our love for our wives when we look at them and we say, okay, the, the, the bar is laid down everything. That might start for you with the TV control. I don't know. It might start with your device or your schedule, your hobby. But what do we do? We lay it down. Why? Well, because she's so beautiful. No, that's a good thing. But no, it's because of your reverence for Christ. It's your way of saying, God, thank you for what you did for me. Okay, let's take a quick time out here. I want to do a little quiz with you. Make sure you're paying attention. Okay, you ready? I'm going to put a picture on the screen. I want you to yell. It's okay to yell in church. You can yell out loud what you see. Okay, here we go. First one. Here we go. Come on. There we go. Red barn. Good. Next one. Bicycle. You guys are sharp. Burger and fries. Yeah, hungry for lunch. Here we go. Last one. Little Red. Pretty popular guy around here, right? Right? Okay, last one. Here it is. Marriage, right? Man and a woman. Let me ask you a question. When you see that picture, what do you think? I want you to put your name in here, okay? Women, put your name here. Men, put your name right there. Let me ask you this question. When you think of your marriage, have you ever thought of it this way? This is a mind blower. And this, again, Ephesians 5, it's a framework changer. And it could change everything for your marriage. Have you ever thought of your marriage as this, that it is a picture of God's love for your spouse? That's what verse 32 says. Keep working through the text. And so here's the thing, when I'm at the restaurant, does the world see Christ's love for the church by the way that I treat my wife? When I'm at the store, when I'm at home, do my kids get a glimpse of how much Christ 
loved the church and gave himself up for it by the way that I treat Christina. Do they see that? That's what's happening in this passage. Apostle Paul is saying, your marriage is a picture of God's love for the church. Your marriage was this incredible gift to you so that you could be the conduit through which your spouse feels the love of God. That is a huge responsibility. Andy Stanley, who I'm indebted to for helping me understand this text, so, uh, he said it like this. He says it so well. He says, God says to us, you are your spouse's number one method of demonstrating God's love to them. And I think this is so helpful because when you find yourself, and we all find ourselves in this place, but when you find yourself saying things like, if, if she would only, then I would. Well, I'll do this because I'll get that. Well, if he would only start doing this, well, then we could get to go there, and then we could get this. Go, blah, 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 blah. Keeps going, 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 going. Never stops, does it? You know what that's called? Debt-debtor relationship. Debt-debtor relationship. And it's no fun to be in one of those with a bank. It's no fun to be in one of those with anybody, and it's surely not a way for you and I to build a marriage. If you do, then I will. Well, if you just show up, then I'll do If you come home on time, and then we'll start doing this. No. Know this, God says this, your marriage is a picture of how Christ unconditionally loved the church. And so am, am I being used by God to be a channel through which my spouse experiences the unconditional love of God? Not because they deserve it necessarily, but because of my reverence out of, as a response to, as an overflow of my reverence for Christ and all that he's done for me. What if just for this week, imagine this, imagine just for this week, if you treated your spouse, if you fought for them, not, not with them, don't go home and misapply, nah. if you fought not with them, but what if you fought for them and you, thought with, and you fought with this in mind, I'm not going to give them what I think they deserve right now, but I'm going to give them what I believe God gave me. Not based on their response, but based on his unconditional love for me. Why? Because I revere, because I stand in awe, because one day I was far from God, and now I know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, you've forgiven me, you've blessed me, you've given me grace and peace in my life. And as a way, God says, you want to show gratitude for what I've done for you? If you're married, the number one way that you can do that is to this, you reciprocate that love. And you say, okay, might my marriage then be a picture of how Christ loved his church? That's us, his church. I pulled into the driveway on Friday night, and i got to be honest with you, I, I was not feeling good about this message, and, and I was feeling like I had a lot of work yet to do, it just wasn't going well. You might feel like I still have a lot of work to do, you know. <laughs> but I was sitting in my truck and in the garage, and before going in the house, I just said this to God. I said, God, like only you can do, um, God, would you have a breakthrough moment for a couple, several couples in our church? Maybe it's a person, maybe you didn't come here alone this morning. And, but God, would you, would you allow us to get a hold of this truth, God, and would there be a breakthrough? God, would somebody who said, I'm out of the ring, I've thrown in the towel, we are done. And maybe you haven't checked out on paper yet, but you have mentally checked out. Would you get back in the game this morning? That was my 
That was my prayer. Would you, would you step in and would you just feel a nudge from God? Okay, I can look at my marriage differently. It's not based on what she does. It's not based on how he be. No. It's based on you. And I entered this covenant of marriage. Covenant, key word. And I entered it. And okay, God, when you describe this covenant of marriage, you talk about it in ways maybe you've never heard before. And so, Lord, would you help me to be the kind of person that I don't give them what's natural for me to give my spouse. And that is what they deserve. But God, might I, as a response to the fact that you did not give me what I deserve, might I give them unconditional love. That's my prayer for you this morning. And I want to share this with you. This is from Psalm um, 17. I just saw this yesterday. And I thought for some of you, you might need to hear this more than anything else. David writes this. He said, I call on you. He says, my God. He says, for you will answer me. He says, turn your ear to me. And then he says, and hear my prayer. Just think about that. He says, God, you hear my prayer. And then he says this. Show me the wonders of your love. And you might need that to hear that more than anything else this morning, that you are not alone in your marriage. That God knows, particularly some of you that are fighters. You've been fighting. You've been trying to stay at it the best that you possibly can. Know this. God wants to fight for your marriage more than even you do. And he cares about it even more than you do. Imagine standing before God someday and God asking you this question, why did you love her? Why did you stay with him? Why did you, why did you love her so well? Why did you do that? And imagine being able to say to God in that moment, I loved her so well, Jesus, because of how well you loved me. And I just wanted you to know how grateful I am. That's the picture. That's the picture we get from Ephesians chapter 5. You know, we're going to stand here in just a minute and, and just close with a song. And, but knowing that um, marriage is tough, um, I thought it might be good for us even to be able to pray for some of you couples here this morning. And so I just asked our elder board uh, on, on Friday, I just said, um, would you and your spouses, would you be available just kind of down over here as we sing this last song? And I just said, would you be available for people that just want to come and they would just say, and it doesn't mean your marriage is in crisis. It might just mean, hey, our marriage is going really well and we want to keep it going that way. It might be, hey, we got a need with one of our kids. Would you pray for us for that? Or maybe it is. You just say, hey, we need to fight. We need to get back in the ring and fight for this thing. Because if we don't, it's not going the right way. And if you would be blessed by just having somebody this morning say, hey, we'll, yeah, definitely, we'll, we'll pray for you. You don't need to spill all your guts to us, but but we'll pray for you. So you can take advantage of, of that this morning. So yeah, let me, let me pray for us now and then we'll stand, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you first and foremost that you fight for us. Yeah, we're not in the ring alone. And Father, thank you that you care about us and you cared about us long before we ever cared about you. And Father, thank you that you've redeemed us. Father, thank you that you poured out your grace and your mercy and that you love us in such a way that we can call you our God, our Heavenly Father, and God, that you are good. And Father, we pray this morning that we would be the kind of people, the kind of men and the kind of woman, women that we would stand up and we would say, I will not give up, I will get in the ring, and I will do everything I can to be the kind of person that expresses unconditional love, not because my spouse deserves it, 
but because, Lord, of this framework that you kind of blow our minds with, help me to love them because of and based on the fact of how good you have been to me and how you have loved me. Lord, we pray now, Lord, just for these next moments. God, we pray for a breakthrough moment. God, I pray for the couple that even maybe the wife or the husband gives the other one the nudge. God, we pray that the other one wouldn't give them the look. And, uh, but that there would be just a sense of, yeah, thank you. Let's go do that. Let's get prayed for this morning or however you would meet us in this place, Lord. So, Lord, be blessed now as we stand together and sing. So, yeah, church, let's stand together.